Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, today we are talking about armor, and I'm curious uh, from you guys, what, what images come to mind when you think of armor? What do you, what, what do you think of with armor? What do you connect? Yeah. A knight? A knight? All right, so a kind of medieval knight. Yeah, Dries? Minecraft armor? Good. Some of you are like, what is this? Just ask a younger person. You'll be fine. They'll walk you through it every step of the way. What else? What's that? Battle? Yeah, or battle? Yeah, as Higgins might say it. So, yeah, you think of uh, knight. You think uh, anything else? You guys think of any other kind of armor? No? No stormtroopers are going to be mentioned uh, from uh, Star Wars at this point, but you know what I think of? This is probably not, <clears throat> probably not the first thing that comes to mind for most of us, but this is the image that uh, I have in mind with armor. <laughs> and if you can't see that too well, or you don't remember classic 80s films, uh, this is a screenshot of Michael Keaton in the movie Mr. Mom. And Mr. Mom, uh, I'm not going to go through the whole premise here, but essentially it's a uh, switching of roles, uh, which was kind of a big deal, I guess, in the 80s. Um, And so he is now at home full-time with the kids, and so the whole uh, movie is a comedy about his uh, troubles with this. This scene in particular has him armored up. Does anyone know what he's preparing to do here? Change a diaper. That is correct. All right, and so his armor for changing a diaper uh, is he's got the apron of truth and the goggles of salvation. No, I'm not going to keep going with those, but he's got goggles on. He's wearing um, like uh, dish dishwashing gloves or something like this. You can't see it that well in this picture because it's behind the trash bag, but he is also using tongs. So that's his sword, I guess. Um, and so he's armored up, right? He is, he's suited up for a fight on his hands. And I feel like um, in a lot of ways, you know, there are things that we suit up for in our lives. Things, a fight that we're preparing to have and either literally or figuratively we armor up for it. Maybe you've had scenarios in uh, your work life where uh, some of the people that you work with don't seem to take the best from you uh, and actually construct the worst things. And so when you come to a a staff meeting of some sort, uh, you come prepared for battle, right? You are armored up. You're ready to defend yourself against whatever's going on. Maybe you've uh, had this experience with a parent-teacher conference, and you are preparing to defend your child and maybe by extension yourself in that space. Maybe you suit up uh, whenever you get together for extended family gatherings, and you use some sort of uh, defensive shield to fend off the topics that shall not be discussed in this group. Uh, and, and throughout our lives, we are always kind of suiting up or armoring up for a fight 
for some kind of uh, a struggle that we are having, uh, wherever that takes us. And, and this week, as we are still in the middle of uh, midlife in our faith stepping stones, you heard Pastor Pat uh, start with that last week uh, as we talked about kind of this 30s through 50s stage of our lives. There's a lot of, well, there's a lot of things to battle, a lot of things to do. Um, that this midlife period, of which I'm smack dab in the middle of it right now, uh, is full of lots of activity, right? Uh, Pat talked about this last week. You know, this is kind of the height of activity with raising kids, maybe with earning, uh, maybe with saving for the future, maybe with taking care of your elderly parents. Um, there's just lots of things that are going on. There's, it's kind of the height of doing uh, in our lives very often. Not always. I mean, this is, you know, when you're kind of doing a cross-section, it's not always true for everybody. But for the most part, this is kind of what is experienced by us. Lots of activity, lots of suiting up, lots of preparing for a fight here or there, whatever the struggle might be. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, this is a time where you seem to be doing so many things. And you would think that that would be the height of satisfaction in life because we, we like to do things. In fact, normally, if you ask someone how they're doing and they say busy, that's like a badge of honor, right? Look how important I am. I've got so many things going on, right? Uh, and so you would think that at this stage in our lives, this would be the height of our satisfaction, but it turns out it's not actually the height. I just wanted to get Michael Keaton off in front of you. It turns out it's not the height of satisfaction in our lives. There's an author uh, by the name of Jonathan Rauch uh, who wrote a book called The Happiness Curve. I don't know if any of you have heard of this. And here they do uh, decades of uh, social science surveying of people. They find across cultures, uh, across gender, it doesn't matter whether it's men or women, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomics are, but that when people self-report their level of happiness or satisfaction, there is a dip across the board that happens in midlife. So at this, this stage where you would think I'm, I'm at the height of my doing, I should also be at the height of my happiness or my satisfaction, you actually find the reverse to be true. And I think, you know, aside from his book and the science, I think that this is true in our own experiences. Sometimes when you kind of get out of the static of that stage of life and you can begin reflecting and you can begin to focus on uh, certain relationships and less on your own successes, uh, then that satisfaction can return. And so I, anyway, I think about this midlife and I think about Paul's words to us in Ephesians about armoring up. And I wonder, is Paul just giving us one more struggle to fight? Right? So if you are in your life and you're thinking, okay, I've got, I got my family responsibilities, I've got my work responsibilities, I need to be engaged civically at a wider uh, space, the church is asking me to volunteer in various ways, I'm doing this, and now Paul is saying, don't forget the spiritual thing too. Right? Is, he, is he adding one more fight that you and I are supposed to be about on our plate? Is he giving us one more thing to do? It's weird because in my 12 plus years of doing ministry, I have never preached on this uh, section of scripture. I've even done like a sermon series through Ephesians and for some reason I, I petered out in the last, I only got through chapter five and then we were done. So I've never preached on this. So I went through and honestly, this is one of those metaphors from Paul that has never really resonated 
with me in terms of the armor. I kind of just go silly, you know, like I'm talking to my puppets or something. And I just think about, you know, the belt of truth, if you're in midlife, is just a comment on your waistline, right? Uh, Or the breastplate of righteousness is just how we keep people away from how we really feel about things, right? Just cover up your heart and don't let them know. But is that really what's going on there? So I did a whole bunch of studies over the last couple weeks, and I found like almost to every single one that the emphasis on this section of scripture is about us developing habits and working harder at things. And I thought, well, I've read all through Ephesians. I cannot imagine that Paul, starting off with Jesus' choice of you and his supremacy and him bringing unity to the body and him being all in all, that that's how Paul would start and then at the end say, but you need to finish it out yourself. And so I struggled with this quite a bit. What is he actually getting at here with this armor? Well, Paul says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which to me is the first indication that this is not what we think is about to happen. He's not just giving us some other fight in our lives that we need to armor up for and win. And elsewhere in Paul's letters, he highlights that our fight is even against ourselves, right? I think of Romans 7 and Paul saying, the good I would, I don't even do, right? He's recognizing that our struggle is even against ourselves in many instances. And then he says at the very beginning of the section we heard, be strong in the Lord and in his power, right? Be strong in the Lord and in his power, And then he says, pray in the spirit, that spirit which we know groans with with groanings too deep for our words. When we don't even know what to say to the Lord, the the spirit is handling it for us. And so I want us to walk through briefly this armor and see what actually is happening with Paul. Because I think that Paul is actually describing armor as a gift to us. In other words, and this happens a lot in the New Testament, God takes the things that we think we understand from a worldly perspective and he flips them upside down to show us what his kingdom is like. And so Paul is using an image that we think is all about our fight and our struggle to subvert that experience for us and see that God is actually giving us gifts. So the first one here is the belt of truth, which again is not a, a comment on your waistline or something like this, right? It's actually, there's something else going on here. You know, I, I think sometimes when Christians, when we as Christians talk about truth, we would rather use it as a sword, right? We would rather see the sword of truth and then we can wield it against each other, right? My kids in helping me set these props up immediately picked this up and started swinging it at each other, right? (laughs) So I think we want to see truth, the belt of truth from God or truth from God as being a sword that we use against other people. But notice Paul is using it as a metaphor for what is fastened around us. And so the belt of truth from God is not I'm right and you're wrong, The belt of truth is, I am a sinner, and Jesus loves me. And both of those things are true simultaneously. And every day when we put that on, we are refreshed and freed from the get-go, from our doing or from our earning or from a false view of ourselves as only one or the other. Paul is telling us we have a gift from God in this belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, as you can see up there, goes over us 
And I think there's something very fitting here. Righteousness is one of those words that we kind of think of as only churchy, but it's really just making things right. Think about what is wrong in your life or in our world at large, and for it to be righteous or made right, this is what God is talking about. And I don't think it's accidental that Paul puts this over our hearts, because elsewhere we hear from him that if our hearts accuse us, If our guilt seems too great, if we don't understand ourselves, if we are in despair, Paul says Christ is greater than our hearts. Literally, he has our hearts covered in this gift. And God makes things, all things new, beginning with our hearts. He says that, right? Through the prophets, I will give them new hearts and I will place my law in, in their hearts and they, no one will teach their neighbor saying, know the Lord. They'll all know me, right? God will do this for us. You go on to the next one here. You have shoes of peace. Now, this is the weirdest uh, one I could think of. When you guys think about the kind of shoes that you need, they've got a sporting event today, right? Uh, it's the puppy bowl. I think it's the puppy bowl. 13th year of the puppy bowl. No, I don't know. <laughs> but so what kind of shoes do you need? They're, they're going to wear cleats, right? Um, you guys have a, like a first rule of sport. When you think about any kind of sport, what's the first rule of, of being ready for sport? What's that? Equipment. Maybe your equipment. Yeah. Other ideas? Athletic position. That's the one that my father-in-law always says. He says the first rule of sport is bend your knees, right? Don't lock your knees. And so when I think about uh, shoes, I think of being prepared, right? You have the equipment that's ready to do the thing that you're supposed to do. What exactly are shoes of peace? What activity are you carrying out with that? When I think of my feet and I think of peace, do you know what position I'm in? I'm in the lazy boy. My feet are up. I'm cuddling with my kids or watching something with them or I'm reading something. I'm not doing anything at all. Paul is just completely flipping on its head our ideas of armor and our own fighting because we have a peace that passes all understanding from the Lord. He says it's the good news of peace, the gospel of peace, the good news that Jesus has won it for us. He goes on. He says, use the shield of faith. You can extinguish the flaming arrows, right? The accusations of Satan and even of your own heart, right? You can extinguish these. And shield and faith are strange. It's a strange juxtaposition because a shield is like the perfect example of being defensive, right? I'm not going to let you see me. You're not going to get to me. Is faith defensive? Not according to Hebrews 11. You read that chapter, and and we are told that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. And then he goes on to tell stories of God's people through the Old Testament, not perfect people by any stretch, but who through faith took risks. I mean, they leaped out and did extraordinary things and also absurd things through faith. That's not a defensive posture. Again, I think Paul is flipping the script on these things, that the shield of faith would actually enable us to go out and take risks following Jesus because he's got it covered for us. You get the helmet of salvation. 
Now, we've already talked about our hearts, so Paul is also going to talk about our heads. And I think this is really important for us because especially in some of uh, our, these kind of older traditions within the faith, we tend to be very brainy, right? I know I am. I'm very brain. I'm part of Overthinkers Anonymous, if you guys have ever heard of that group. I'm just making it up. It's not real. Actually, it might be. I don't know these days. But, but we tend to think, we know that we are not saved by our works. But how am I thinking about it? Have I formulated things exactly the right way? I remember uh, noticing that even when I was at seminary. Great, great education, but sometimes I think when people gave chapel talks, they never felt any freedom to say what was actually going on. They just wanted to make sure they formulated things the exact way you're supposed to say it. And Paul is saying, no, you're not saved by your brain either. In fact, your salvation is from the Lord. Even your brain that leads you astray into thinking that you've got it all, all the answers, that your ego is top, God has that covered for you, right? You are saved even from yourself in that space. And then finally, Paul says, the sword of the Spirit. And he tells us what that one is. He says it is the word of God. And we know that elsewhere in the New Testament, that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through to the heart, that God's word is living and active. And so when Paul describes this armor, he's not describing something that you and I have to build a habit around and do better at. He's actually describing God's daily even every moment gifts that he is giving to us. Paul is reorienting us in these words away from ourselves and our doing and toward the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's using a strange example of armor in order to do it. Armor often means that we are prepping for a fight, but you and I know that Jesus has already won. He's already won. He is is raised from the dead. He has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. We're going to confess that in a few minutes in the Nicene Creed. Jesus has already won. There's no fight that you and I have to win. We are free in Jesus Christ, completely free in him. Now, there is one thing that Paul is telling us to do. Put on the gift. Take it up. He says it over and over again. Put this on, take this up. In other words, receive the gift that God is giving to you. Don't fight against it. And don't try to do these battles on your own. Just receive what he is giving and take it up each and every day. Paul wants you to know, regardless of your stage in life, that you are not alone in your struggles. You are covered in Christ. He is with you. You can speak to him. This is the connection to prayer about anything and everything because he is right by your side. He is working in you and through you and he is serving you in the lives of others around you. Your struggle is not your own. The victory is already yours. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.